questions. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have heard of this new thing called social media? <laughs> you know, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace. Uh, there's, um, but I, I don't actually know what that is. I wasn't in, I wasn't on it yet. By now, most of us have witnessed this, how what is presented on social media is sometimes inaccurate, right? Even people that you know, now, sometimes, not, not necessarily through, you know, um, bad motives or intentional lying, but Sometimes what you see is sort of a soft-lit, sanitized, kind of photoshopped version of people's lives, right? That kind of happens, or, or maybe an event in people's lives. Now, I'm not trying to be cynical, um, even though it sounds like it, but a, a, sometimes a snapshot uh, can misrepresent reality because you see just this much of it, and you know, then when you see the reality, there's sort of a bursting of the bubble. I mean, uh, and Paul's letter to the Thessalonians could be sort of taken that way. You read what Paul says all through this letter about how much he cares for these people, and you guys are great, and you you experienced so much change, and the gospel came with conviction, and you went out and started sharing with others, and they told us about how, you know, how uh, powerful it was when you came, and Paul says these kinds of things, and we could um, begin to think, wow, these people were just not the same kind of people as us. These people were just, they were better. You know, they were kind of like when you're seeing on social media that family that went to the pumpkin patch and, oh, gosh, everybody was so happy and the sun was shining and, you know, the wind is blowing their hair just right. (laughs) Their hair, thank you, God. They're like all these things that are just so special and, you know, they took the picture and right at the moment they took it, they all had big pumpkins, you know, that they found and it's perfect and the scarecrow in the back was falling over and landed between them and, oh, what a great moment and we went and we had a spousal fight on the way there it rained the kids are covered in mock they couldn't find anything they're all cheesed off we get in the car and one of them throws up in the back seat and you know the, like it just it's kind of like you know let's not post it on facebook you know you know like that this is how it kind of is they're better than us they have this great life but we are just not those kind of extraordinary believers. Let me burst the bubble again. It's not true. It, this letter is a snapshot. Paul's commending them. He's speaking blessing over there. I mean, he's, he's, not, he's not speaking hype. It's all true. But he also knows that there are issues. How does he know that? Because they're people. They're, they're just like you. They're people. They have some stuff that isn't all just sanitized and beautiful and soft-lit and photoshopped. Some of it is stuff that, some grit and some rough edges. And am I talking to anybody here? If it's not you, look at the person next to you. (laughs) It might be them, okay? These are the kinds of things. Paul is speaking to these people. 
he brings this letter to a close. As he's bringing this letter to a close, he writes a series of final appeals to aid these young believers in progressing toward being a flourishing church, toward having a flourishing church culture, a kingdom culture, a culture that reflects the kingdom of God. That's what we're all aiming at. We want to be transformed to reflect Christ, and the church needs to reflect the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is aiming at. So he writes to these people, not because they're flawless in their faith and their lifestyle, but because there's more. He's speaking these things to them because he knows that even where they're doing well, they can excel still more, as we heard many times now. They're doing well. They're on their way in Christ in faith and love and God's grace, serving him, but there's more. And there, and there are flaws and blind spots and habitual sins and, you know bonds and chains and things where they need to get free and there are fleshly motives and uh, you know these kinds of things there's ignorance uh, you know is it is it too harsh to say that about people no because they're new believers so they're ignorant about some things they it says they even came out of serving idols to Christ so do you think the moment they got saved none of that stuff carried over no We know it's true. They were thinking certain things and those things need to get worked out. There's still, even if they didn't carry any of that over, there's demonic and cultural influence trying to steer them in directions away from Christ. They are like us. Genuine faith, but there's still work to be done. Amen? And Paul's letter sets out some priorities for growth for them and for us. So, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 22. It'll be a miracle uh, to cover this, but I want you to read with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 22. But we request of you, brothers and sisters, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Paul speaks these words kind of in rapid succession to the church here. It's as if It's as if he was getting to the end of the letter and he thought, okay, I only got a a couple minutes left here. And so he rattles off this list of things uh, either because he was expecting to see them soon or because he intended to write them again very soon, which he did. The second letter to Thessalonians was written possibly within days of uh, the first one. 
a very short time lapse between them. But um, he wanted to do that, but knew he couldn't take time right now to give long explanations on every one of these things, so I'm going to do it for him. So he makes these important appeals in rapid succession. But notice what he does here. It's like Paul says, do this, do this, don't do this, do this. How many of us have, or let me ask this, how many times have you heard someone say Christianity is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts, it's a relationship? How many of us have actually, we don't have to raise a hand, but we've probably said it, Christianity is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts, it's a relationship. But I have a relationship with my wife. And there are some do's and some don'ts. Right? I mean, in relationship, there's some things you do and some things you better not do. You, you don't do if you want that relationship healthy. And in a relationship with Christ, there are do's and don'ts. And the Bible's full of them. So we can say that's not all it is. That's not the end game is just do's and don'ts. But there are do's and don'ts. We don't do certain things and we do other things. That's part of the, that's part of the way it goes. It's like do's and don'ts. Paul, you're not the boss of me. But here he's saying, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. It's like do this, do this, do this, don't do that. So let's cover uh, this uh, sort of these rapid fire Uh, appeals that Paul gives. He starts out by saying uh, the first of the do's. Do this. Appreciate and esteem those leading and instructing you in the Lord for their work's sake. Not because of just an office, not just title, but for their work's sake. This may very well have been said, in fact, probably was said, because there was some friction. It was probably because there was some of this. He says, esteem those and, you know, hold them in high regard. Appreciate them for their, for their work's sake. Those that are, have charge over you in the Lord. I like in Acts 20 verse, I think it's 31. It says of the shepherds, it says, who are among you. They might be in one sense, older, more experienced, and have charge, but they're still among. There's the chief shepherd, and all the shepherds, even the greatest on the earth, they're still underlings. Christ is the chief shepherd. We're all among the flock. So he says this. So there may well have been some friction, uh, which is common in every age, in every culture, right? Because people are people. There's going to be some of that friction, right? If, if you're new to the faith and you don't know that, again, burst a bubble, there's going to be some friction in the church. There will be because people are here. But it shouldn't be the status quo among God's people that we just accept friction and say, oh, well, so be it. There's always going to be friction. So, you know, I can't stand that guy, but, you know, just let it stand because there's going to be somebody in the church I'll have friction with. May as well be him. No, it shouldn't be status quo. <laughs> especially if it's me. Okay, so Paul, <laughs> Paul says it. He says he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't have um, said this to the church 
if there was only ever perfect harmony. He wouldn't have told them, hey, you guys need to do this and watch this and guard this. He wouldn't have said that if there was only ever perfect harmony. In fact, he, he adds that final statement, live in peace with one another, work at it, aim at it, keep working at it. He wouldn't have said that if there wasn't the possibility of there being friction and sometimes things are out of line. Now, verse 14, he goes on. He says, we urge you. Now, he's using an even stronger word here. We urge you, brothers and sisters. And then this rapid fire one. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Okay, this is... There will always be people with needs. And he says here... Though he starts by saying, brothers and sisters, admonish or warn or correct the unruly. Now that word unruly doesn't just mean somebody who doesn't know better. It's actually a military word that relates to a soldier who's breaking ranks. So somebody who's sort of decidedly... um, rebellious or pushing back in a in an unhealthy way it says admonish them warn them and of course we know that all of these things by paul's own words are done by love we never it's never something that's like a a fierce top-down kind of thing but he says admonish or warn or correct the unruly then he says and do it so they can be restored not so not just you know hey you know I'm warning you and you know get out no warning so that they can turn around and be restored to encourage the faint hearted put courage in the heart of the faint hearted they they're faint hearted what does it mean it means they're they're running out of steam they're running out of gas they 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 may not have the you know their their heart is sort of in a weakened state Uh, encourage them put some faith in there put some strength in there put encourage in courage put courage in do that for these faint-hearted ones keep going it's all worth it you tell them you know god hasn't forgotten you keep moving forward one foot in front of the other three help the weak everyone needs strength and support from others now and then right everybody does everybody's in that uh, we're, we're human. Uh, there's going to be some of that. We're all going to need it at some point. And some, because of wounding or dysfunction or some damage or some twist or whatever it might be, are weak and they need lots of help. And it seems chronic. Have you met people like that? In fact, I read just recently of a guy in a church and he said the pastor preached on We need to love the people that are difficult to love. And he said, after the church, I got eight invitations to lunch. Everybody was so kind to me. It's like, you know. But there are people that, again, because of some challenge, they may be, and and I, I know I told you about this maybe a year ago, We had a season in our church several years ago where 
I was praying for the church and I was thinking, wow, have we got a lot of misfits. People who are who have some really big challenges right now. And I, you know, I'm not being comical about that. There were a lot of people with some real troubles and I thought okay God if if they're safe here if they're willing to come here I'll I'll stand I want to see them go on I want to see them made whole like I'll accept that and um, uh, please give us help give us an anointing because sometimes you know there were a couple of them that seemed to not know that you could use the phone until after 10 o'clock. And that's when I would always get a call, and it was always a long one. And so there would be a few times, it's like, Rose, I, I know I don't have the grace to answer that right now. I just, I know that I'm going to, if it's a long conversation, I'll do like I did to Ryan one time. I fell asleep while he was talking on the phone. It was so terrible. <laughs> Ryan knew I went quiet for a moment. He said, did you just fall asleep? <laughs> anyway, uh, and that was for a different reason. I was just tired, okay? That wasn't because Ryan fit into that group. <laughs> we know it. I call Ryan for everything. <laughs> but this thing, there are people with big needs and lots of them, and he says, help them. And that's not just a word for leaders. That's a word. That's inclusive for the church. Paul's writing this to the church. Help them. We can't just push that off as, oh, well, that's why we have a pastor. He'll take care of that. No. In fact, there are times that having a need met by somebody else who's not uh, paid a salary by the church, someone whose profession is, you know, being in the pulpit or, or pastoring. There are times that it is more effective, I'm, I guarantee it, for somebody else other than me to talk to somebody. Sometimes, because you're better gifted, there are in things like listening, maybe, and not falling asleep on the phone. Like you could, and, and other things you might have. I, there are people in this church that I know, when certain things take place, they'll speak more directly to a situation than I would. I'm trying to think, how can I be nice about this and beat around the bush? And there's somebody else who will speak directly to it. And that's what was needed in the moment. That is a word. Help the weak. Okay? Um, Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. And help the weak. Get alongside them. Somebody holding somebody up and helping them, you know, finish the race. Okay? That is absolutely essential. Do we have a church culture where the weak believe they'll be helped without feeling a loss of dignity? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Finally, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Is it just me or is that a challenge sometimes? Any of you? Yeah, thank you. I'm being patient right now with those that didn't raise their hands to acknowledge the the truth. Uh, Be patient with everyone. With everyone. Why? Because all need it from time to time, right? All need it. All are in process. 
So all require the patience of others from time to time. So again, some more than others, but all need it. Okay? Verse 15, as followers of Christ, okay, verse 15, see that no one repays evil with evil, but always seek after that which is good. As followers of Christ, getting back at someone, revenge, giving someone a taste of their own medicine is just never an option. As much as at times I sure want it to be. Not anymore, because I'm, you know, the way I am. But Paul wrote this to people who had suffered for following Jesus. Some of them had probably seen family members suffer for following Jesus. C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity at one point talks about forgiveness. And when he wrote that book, I think was shortly after the Second World War. Do you remember, Malik, the date on that? Was it, I think it was just after the Second World War. So it, people were pretty sensitive about stories about Nazis. And C.S. Lewis said, he used that as an example. I'm sure in his brilliance, he didn't miss the significance of how hard a reality that would be. But he talked about um, having to forgive. And he said, I didn't say that. I didn't make that up. But if you believe this book at all, you have got to believe that forgiveness or unforgiveness is not an option for us. And he used a Nazi as an example saying, yes, I, I haven't had to do that personally, he said, and I can't imagine how challenging that would be but we have no alternative. We can't just say, well, in that case, it, God must have another way. That's a challenge. So he says here, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, in the church or out of the church, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for everyone, for all men. That idea of vengeance, we know that everybody in this fallen world has at some point been cheated, betrayed, rejected, uh, some kind of wounding, right? Everybody, everybody's had that on some level, some much worse, Um, some dreadfully so. God will settle accounts. He's even called in the Psalms, and this is a terrifying title, the God of vengeance. And when you think that he has perfect knowledge of everything, nothing escapes his notice. He has everything at his disposal, and when people stand before the court of heaven... There will be no weaseling out of it by some kind of technicality or, oh, we, we can't, you know, that, oh, they use the law like in human courts. They use the law to sort of, you know, get out of things. Not in God's court. No way. And the God of vengeance, he'll have his day. He will settle accounts. 
There's even a part of that that in the New Testament, it says that's part of the gospel, part of the good news, is that justice will be meted out righteously and perfectly. God will settle accounts, but not us.